future is now. And welcome to the SVK Crypto Podcast. 15 minutes of crypto value. My name is Charles Story. It's Thursday, which means one thing and one thing only. We're passing it over to our co-host, Jess Holgrave, who will be emceeing tonight's show. She has a very special guest on the show, Maria McAvner from Verve, a London-based project. Maria and the Verve team have one mission and one mission only. That is to drive energy bills down to zero using your data and energy trading platform. Maria, amongst, amongst other talents, is a keynote speaker. Speaking at a variety of different keynotes, including Engarati, Clean Energy Tech Forum, Electrify Europe, and other crypto events around the world. It was an honor to have her on our show, and I think Jess does an amazing job at getting all the info that we want to hear from our very special guest. So with that in mind, I'm going to hand it over to Jess, who's going to take it from here. Enjoy the show. Let us know your thoughts. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast now so you don't miss out on any more great shows. Let's get down to business. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Holgrave, and I'm really excited to be guest hosting the SBK Crypto 15 Minutes of Crypto Fame podcast. I'm a co-founder of Shios, an EOS block producer with a mission to bring more women and diversity into blockchain. And on Thursdays for the next few weeks, I'll be bringing stories from interesting women working in the blockchain space to tell you about their background and draw some attention to the great work being done by women in crypto. You can follow me on Twitter at jessieblock to send me suggestions of women that you'd like to hear from. This week, I'm joined by Maria McAvener, COO at Verve, which combines AI, Internet of Things, and blockchain technology to form a renewable energy trading solution that improves access to affordable, low-carbon energy. So many different technologies there. Um, Maria has an engineering degree and before Verve worked for National Instruments. We met way back in mid-2017, which feels like so long ago now, at a women's blockchain event. So I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time. Can you tell us a little bit to kick off about your background? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a, an absolute pleasure to be involved in, in things like this. Um, so yeah, but before and I, so I originally started off as an electrical engineer. Um, at, so that's what I studied at university. Then went into consulting for a little while, but uh, didn't like that too much because I find I was just writing reports on how people should run their businesses better, do things differently, but wasn't actually able to implement anything. Um, so then I decided to go back into engineering again. So became an applications engineer at National Instruments. So kind of um, doing support on like hardware and software for various engineering companies in the UK. Um, and then moved back into what was basically a consulting role again, um, but at National Instruments. So I ran the West London and Surrey sales territory. Um, but the nice thing about it was, is that um, it allowed me to, to be with people, which is what I really love and kind of solve biz business problems. But I did actually get to see the implementation um, but it would more be the customers that would do the implementation, but being so heavily involved with um, some really interesting uh, projects in both like transport and uh, defense and even some Formula One uh, was really amazing. 
And it was through that role that I met the CEO of Verve, Peter. Uh, so he has another company called Austin Consultants, which was a partner company of National Instruments. And um, I knew him from kind of conferences and events. And I actually didn't set out to, to join Verve. I only, so I asked him to meet for a drink because I decided that I wanted to leave corporate land and have a, a bigger impact. Um, I definitely felt very like I was at the bottom of quite a greasy pole and didn't know how, you know, how the next few years were going to pan out. And I think this is maybe a controversial thing to say, but I had an awareness that as a woman and being in my 20s, I've kind of felt this like opportunity to move as quickly and as as far as I could in my career. Because I think I always had that like, okay, when a baby comes, there's going to be time off and I need to be as senior as I can before that happens. And I think like Sheryl Sandberg was a bit of an inspiration for me on that. You know, it's like, don't leave before you leave, you know, yeah. leave as much as you can. Um, and so that was um, a kind of a bit of a driving point for me. I was like, look, I need to make the most of this time. And uh, yeah, so went to meet Pete just because I knew he had a startup kind of on the side, but I really was like, they'll be too small, like it won't be the right time for for a role for my skill set. Um, but he'll know someone. And uh, it was between me calling him and arranging the drink and actually going for the drink that I saw on his website, he was hiring a COO. And uh yeah, I was like, oh, I started to read down the the different like descriptions of the role. And I was like, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. And then I saw at the bottom, it was like 10 years experience and some other things I didn't have. And I was like, oh, well, I can't do it then. And I was reading this all like to the, my boyfriend at the time. And um, he was like, are you kidding me? Like you literally quote Sheryl Sandberg all the time. And one of the things she said is like, you know, women won't apply for jobs if they don't have all the skills. And uh, you've just done it. Like you've literally just done the thing that you lecture people on what they shouldn't do. And then I was like, oh, shit, can't believe I've done that. Um, so by the time it came to actually going and meeting Pete, I was like, basically pitching my ass off to get this job um, and uh, then I did so um, that's that's how that happened um, and then awesome. it's been a, a two-year whirlwind since <laughs> and, and so when you joined Verve it was still pretty small um, and you, you guys have grown tremendously from what I've seen and you've just closed your series A investment which is a huge achievement so congratulations can you, can you tell us a little bit about that journey for you what was personally that like for you yeah so it was very strange and um, when I started off there were about nine of us um, and we were in these offices that were kind of underneath a railway arch there were no windows and uh, the internet cut out every time a train went over and there was no phone signal so not the best <laughs> for communications <laughs> um, and at that time it was just very like we were just focused on raising money so we'd had seed funding and we were starting to hire more people so particularly more data scientists because our technology is based on AI. So we basically apply AI to current and voltage data coming into the home. And we then can see which appliances are on in the home and basically create these uh, kind of amazing customer experiences using energy data uh, by just applying some smarts to it. So we were trying to increase the data science team. And I was so surprised at how much of my life was just hiring, uh, just interviewing and hiring and interviewing and hiring and uh, the amount of, um, I guess, 
people skills that were involved and just trying to keep everyone happy and keep everyone taking over and keeping everyone efficient at a time when, you know, it was uncertain. Um, you know, you're trying to raise a, we were raising an angel round at that time before our series A and, um, yeah, it, but it was, it was so exciting and it was like being at university, but the project was really fun and you were getting paid for it. It was just, it was really, really, really good. Um, and I was, I became, I've never been so addicted to a, a job and never had such a good stress like I'm, I'm kind of like a, a stressed person generally like I, I take a lot on but it was good stress and um, it was really exhilarating and um, then we ended up going through a crowdfund um, and that was amazing so we did it through Crowdcube and we had set out to raise half a million and ended up raising 1.2 and um, but that was I suppose the first time that I really like I, I kind of crashed off the the edge of the cliff and um, I remember someone said it to me, like doing kind of viral marketing campaigns or viral crowdfunding. And we see it, we've seen it with ICOs as well. And you get addicted to the endorphins of the like more people coming on your platform, more people coming on your network and what goes up must come down. And so, yeah, at the at the end of that, it was like the highest high followed by the lowest low. And I literally cried for two weeks and couldn't really work out why like there was no particular reason um I think it was just a complete lack of adrenaline um and so yeah following that I kind of tried to to balance myself out a little bit more um and yeah I thought that around that time as well so we were working on a, a grant which was around the energy trading piece which is where the blockchain comes in so um just to kind of flash back I feel like I didn't explain what we do that well earlier and um, yeah we started off creating a little verb hub that samples current and voltage coming into your home applies AI to that data to tell you you know the washing machine costs this much the tumble dryer costs this much and what's on in real time we then could see more interest in things like, oh, that washing machine's actually about to fail. We can see changes in the signature. And then through a specific project we did where all the homes had solar panels, we realized that they were generating a lot more energy than they needed. And we were like, what would happen if we could create a system whereby these homes could trade the excess energy with a neighbor and the neighbor would pay them for it? Obviously, something less than what they pay for, like the 15p they pay for their mains electricity, but more than the 5p that the, the person's getting from the feed-in tariff. And yeah, we put in a, a bid for a, a government grant to fund that, and uh, which we won. And yeah, basically built a, a peer-to-peer energy trading community. And the reason why the blockchain was so relevant for this is because we're trying to save people money on their energy bills and there's not a huge window there. So it's like 10p per kilowatt hour that we've got to play with. So if we then became the people who were monitoring all those transactions and managing all the money and saying, you know, Mrs. Jones sent Mr. Smith, you know, 10 kilowatt hours and he sent her back 50p or whatever, and we would then have to take a cut to like manage our databases, like manage customer service and all of that. But the blockchain just brought in this amazing opportunity to have it all automated, all completely transparent and no middleman was required. So like the saving to the customer on their energy would be even greater. Um, and that's how you and I met <laughs> through, um, through starting to, to kind of talk at events and things on, um, 
like the the more diverse I suppose applications of blockchain because obviously you're in art which was like something I had never seen before you know everything was just about bitcoin at that time yeah yeah I think it's um it's amazing to see all the all the applications and I think what what you're doing is so interesting and um but there are a lot of companies kind of tackling this this energy kind of space with blockchain and other technologies. Why do you think Verve is different? Yeah, so I think I'm so welcoming of uh, other people doing very similar things to us, like take, for example, Parledger, um, because this is such a huge market. There's like 45 energy companies in the UK, right? So looking globally, uh, I am kind of welcoming with open arms. Another one's LO3. Uh, they had a, an amazing uh, project in Brooklyn that quite a lot of people are aware of. And um we're very welcoming of others doing the same thing because it's that education piece that's so important. So making people understand, you know, they this can be run in a, in a decentralized way. You can, you know, use your energy the way you would book an Airbnb. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's really exciting. Um, so, yeah, we, we are similar in a lot of ways. The, the key difference is our uh, forecasting ability. So because we can tell what appliances are on now and what you're currently using, and we also have the you know, previous records of how you use appliances, we can then forecast your future energy requirements better than anyone else. Therefore, Theoretically, you would only buy the amount of energy you needed rather than a kind of arbitrary amount. So uh, that's the the USP. Uh, but like I say, even if we didn't have one, it's a big it's a big market, and um, I'm really happy to see other really amazing companies in it. Yeah, and and you know you're backed by some big names like Centrica and things. How mm-hmm. how is it working as a really small startup in a in an industry that's dominated by these huge giants? Um, I think there's there's always times when you uh, when you worry and you think you know we're so small compared to this person or that person. But the amazing thing is the speed at which we can work. So I noticed this when we have meetings with people from Centrica and then we'll have another one in, in three months and they'll be like, you've done all that already. That's amazing. Um, and that the speed of innovation and the speed, even when it comes down to hiring someone, like if we're trying to you know, hire someone who's maybe also applying to like DeepMind or something like that, like that's a four month interview process, whereas we can turn them around in three days. And that's what gives you the advantage and that's the advantage that you have to take. Um, And yeah, for for big companies to make progress in such a niche area, although they have the funding, they just don't have the agility. Um, So yeah, it's really lovely to kind of hear hear feedback from from Centrica when they're like, oh my God, right, you've done all that and now you've done this and now you've done that. Um, And it's just so opposite, I guess, to how they're, they're internal systems yeah. work yeah um and and so what's coming up next for verve what's what's in the pipeline 
So um, we are still continuing to branch out our energy trading communities. So we have one over in Ireland now as well. Um, and they were in kind of talks about some places further east. Um, so just kind of increasing the number of people on the platform and working really closely, particularly in the UK with uh, regulation. So there's a modification that has been raised to allow um, multiple suppliers behind the meter which would enable you to buy your electricity from your neighbors and um, so there's some really key kind of regulatory change that I can see happening over the next year and I hope will continue to be a part of that and uh, you know we've presented at a lot of kind of government uh, events and they are really listening and um, so I'm excited to see some some change there and um, in addition to that in terms of the verb kind of disaggregation units so the unit that tells you you know which um, appliances are on in real time and uh, we've signed some big contracts over in the Middle East now so um verbs going to Dubai and uh, yeah we'll um the global reach is going to it's going to increase a lot in the next 12 months so very new ways of doing business and um yeah I'm kind of excited to see what country kind of takes off first um because yeah it's amazing you kind of when we started all this I thought we'll have you know UK UK domination first then go to Europe then go to the US and the way companies have in the past but uh, what's actually happened uh, like I say is like the Middle East have suddenly come in and be like no we're really excited about this and you know it could potentially grow quicker than the UK and maybe some other country that we haven't thought of or I'm not allowed to mention yet will actually you know be the the kind of smart energy country first yeah. um, I'm just excited to see like who, who that will be and to be in a position where we can be flexible and adapt to that is really amazing I think um you know I spent a bit of time in Dubai last year and I was just blown away by how forward thinking they were in terms of this technology and 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 adoption um and I think uh yeah it's really exciting to see that because I think that will actually end up paving the way for for jurisdictions like ours um you know where there's either higher regulatory barriers or, or other things like that it's so cool that there are these places that are, um, you know, experimenting and, and and testing this stuff out. That's uh, that's really exciting for you. Um, yeah, yeah, you're so right. I think like I, I'll get this wrong, but um, is it like 2020 or 2022 that Dubai want to have all government services on the blockchain? Yeah, there's a good there's a good fact about that. I've probably got it wrong, <laughs> but something along those lines. So yeah, I I think that countries are now starting to throw these big gauntlets down. You know, Ireland's the same. So Ireland's trying to be the the first country that completely divests from fossil fuels and. Um, yeah, we've got to do some dramatic things if we're going to solve the these climate change issues that we're having. We have, and and I think Verve, um, you know, has a big role to play in that. These sorts of technologies that can change traditional energy systems are are so valuable, and and so I think that's a it's a really exciting time to be working in the space that that you're in. Um, you know, you personally have been nominated in the past as one of the most influential women in UK tech, and you're a very vocal advocate for for women in the industry. Why is it so important for you? So I've always felt that as I grew up and I was really nerdy and really into physics and maths and was like the only girl in my A-level physics class and then the only girl in engineering. And I really 
just wanted someone to look to and there weren't a lot of them. There was uh, one lady um, who was my um, operational amplifier <laughs> lecturer at a uh, university and she's called Danielle George and she's just amazing. So she presents, you maybe see her on a few TV shows. Uh, she did the Royal Institute Christmas lectures. It's just one of only like six women to do that. So I always had her to look to and I was really grateful for that, but was always sad that there wasn't more. And so I was determined that as I went through life, I would try and be as visible as possible as a woman in technology and, and engineering. Um, I mean, even from a selfish perspective, it helps me check my own biases. Like at university, all the guys who were there, at least they were looking around and seeing one woman. Like I didn't see any. So I am I am I have as many unconscious biases as the as the men do. Um so yeah, I think it's really important to be visible. I try to kind of follow as many uh, women in, in the same space and read as many books by by women as I can um, to make sure I'm getting a kind of balanced tone of voice. Um, but yeah, and I also, like, I just love it. I just love talking about technology and um, I love talking about, you know, how little changes that we make can have such a massive impact on our, our lives and, and careers. Uh, but most of all, I think... Um, I was at, funny, coincidentally, a, a talk by Danielle George this week. She was presented with the Michael Faraday Medal, uh, which is one of the highest accolades that you can get from the, the IET. And she gave a, a lecture as part of it. And uh, she showed a little video in the lecture of her friend's daughter. So she said to her friend's daughter, sorry, her friend's daughter said to her, um, oh, I think it's good that, you know, you go on TV and you do these TV shows and you give talks. And she said, oh, like, why Why do you think it's good that I do that? And uh, the little girl said, well, if I look at you and you help me, then one day I'm going to be an adult and I'm going to be better than you. And it was just the funniest thing. And, um, yeah, I'm just really motivated by, you know, enabling you know, someone to to grow up and ha- absorb everything that I've learned, and then develop their own things on top of that. And um, because if we keep going like that, like how quickly we're we're going to evolve, and how uh, how quickly technology is going to continue to evolve and really uh, solve those big grand engineering challenges. So exciting! I couldn't agree with you more. I think having I I was also the only girl in my A level physics class. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, having visible women to look up to is, is so great. And I, I'm really excited to, to showcase them on this show um, for people who are listening. So um, I really appreciate you sharing your story and being so honest about your experience. Um, you know, what, what things can we do um, to, to encourage more women? How can, we, how can we do that apart from just being visible? So I think we have a... A duty to make um, you know our workplaces and jobs interesting and exciting. So I suppose this is from the perspective, perhaps, of um, ensuring pe- women stay in work. Um, I've got two very best friends, one of whom has just had a baby, and the other one's pregnant. And the to be able to leave that little human that you love more than anything in the world to go to work 
is a really difficult thing to do. It's going to have to be a really bloody exciting and interesting job that you do. So I think by um, ensuring that we make the workplace just better for everyone, and you can do that through culture, through giving people, um, you know, as much responsibility as possible and um, giving people autonomy in their jobs like the days of like managers dictating how to do something or how to solve a problem I think are over um, so yeah I think making it making it really worthwhile um, for I, th- I mean beyond that it's hard for me to say so I've read some pieces on you know people saying that like women are more likely to want to solve problems that have like a greater purpose. So say um, like women in engineering, in like medical engineering, there's there's more than say designing operational amplifiers, which um, the lovely Tanya George does. But I actually don't think that's right. <laughs> um, I think, you know, no matter what sex you are, you're interested in, in whatever you're interested in. And um, it's probably just, uh, yeah, who who inspires you to be part of something that that causes you to go into a particular field um so yeah I do think that the visibility is the the biggest element and seeing people like you I think that works for all parts of diversity um you know if you go into a business and you know it's full of as uh, people say meal steel peel people <laughs> um and you're you know young um not you know you're not meal you're not steel and you're not pale you're going to feel like you don't belong and no one no one wants to feel like they don't belong you know everyone wants to look for their own tribe uh, I'm reading The Chimp Paradox right now. So <laughs> I'm very focused on what our inner chimps want. And uh, one of those things is to have you know, your gang and your tribe to keep you safe and going into an environment where no one looks or sounds or is like you. It's very, very intimidating. It's not as intimidating if nobody, if they don't look and sound and act all the same as one another. I think it's when you're presented with what seems to be an existing gang and you feel like you're not allowed in the club and uh, can just be really detrimental. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's um, diversity is so important and something that should be celebrated. But if you are, um, you know, on the outside of what appears to be a, a cohesive gang, it can be it can be very hard. Um, you know, you've been um, working in in blockchain and and with her for quite a while. But for women who are just entering this space, either technology or energy or anything like that. What advice would you have for them? So I think with um, with anything, my big advice is, is be yourself. And I think like, why I love working at Verve and, and what we've tried to create here is ensuring that people can bring their whole selves to work every day. Um, I'm very like strong on you know, not hiding your vulnerabilities, like kind of embrace it because I think it makes you more human and I think it makes you a better leader and makes you more inspiring to other people. Um, in the blockchain space, I'd actually ask, ask you a question on this, Jess. Um, if you're comparing uh, the blockchain space as a niche to the technology industry as a whole, mm. do you think as a woman, as a woman is like more or less difficult? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I should probably ask you that one. You answer afterwards, but I think I actually think um, it it might be easier. And the reason that I say that is because I think blockchain as an industry is quite diverse. I have come across people from 
all sorts of backgrounds, uh, education, different parts of the world, um, different political outlooks. And everybody is very welcoming of each other. Um, and I think from the outside, sometimes it can appear that there is this sort of inner tribalism in blockchain. But actually, I've always personally felt very, very welcomed and um, felt listened to um, in the roles that I've played. And so, I, you know, for me, I've, I've actually really enjoyed it, um, notwithstanding, you know, the odd incident that has been tricky. But <laughs> on the most part, um, you know, I have found the blockchain space very, very welcoming. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think the... Um you know, from its origins, the anonymity meant that no one really knew who anyone was. So it actually didn't matter what your gender was or your orientation or the color of your skin because no one knew. Um, So I think by its very nature, um, it's, yeah, the more anonymous environment means that there is actually more diversity. Um, I think there's some amazing women in this space. There was like a, I think it was in like Cosmo or something, an article on like, you know, here's the 10 women in crypto to watch and stuff, um, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I think the the unregulated element means that there's there have been tricky situations and sometimes you feel like you're you're back in the dark ages again. Um, so yeah, I think my advice, I suppose, for, for coming into it is, um, yeah, to just be really open, get, in, get involved in as much as possible um like events and things like the the blockchain beginners event that that you and I met at um was totally buzzing at that time uh, i think with the market there's not as many events around but the ones that are good are really high quality and that's going to be the exciting thing that that comes in the next few years um but yeah i think like as with anything bring bring your whole skill set and be aware that um you know, the differences, the diversity that you bring is a is a key strength. And uh, yeah, also try and be visible. You don't have to be. If you're not comfortable, don't. But um, if you can inspire just like one person coming two, three years behind you, it can make a whole world of difference. I love that. Um, so I always finish with a quick fire of a few questions. <laughs> um, are you a late night person or an early morning person? Late night. Nice. Um, if you were an animal, what would you be? A cat. <laughs> I have a cat. <laughs> I love. I love the selfishness of them. I feel like I. I try. I try. I think you have to try and be a little bit more um, selfish sometimes. I think I give a lot of myself away, whereas a cat, a cat does them. Like it thinks about what it wants to do. <laughs> I find it quite inspiring. <laughs> um, what is your favorite food? Oh, I was, uh, that's really difficult. White chocolate. I'm <laughs> allergic to brown chocolate. Well, I say allergic, like it gives me really bad migraines. I like lose my vision and go numb down my left side. So I really can't touch it, but like white chocolate's fine. So, wow. uh, <laughs> good. You have something to keep you going. Um, yeah. Who's your favorite person to follow on crypto Twitter? Oh my God, that's such a hard one. I've been unfollowing so much recently. <laughs> I tried to do a clear out in my in my my Twitter. Um, who would I pick? I, do you know what I'm going to say? Um, Trent McConaughey from Ocean Protocol. He's the CTO of Ocean Protocol. Um, I don't know how much he's tweeting these days, but he's got some incredible videos on on YouTube where he just like 
says words that like blow your mind. Um, so yeah, he's he's one of my faves. Great answer. I'm such a big fan of Ocean as well. um, On that note, that's a great way to finish. Um, If people want to contact you or learn more about Verve, how can they do that? So um, I'm on Twitter at mmaccav and uh, you can find out more about Verve at verve.energy or we're verve underscore energy on Twitter. That's amazing. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. I really appreciate it. Um, and best of luck with everything coming up. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It was lovely. Thanks, Maria. Big shout out to Jess and Maria for making the show as special as it was. If you haven't already, subscribe to the SVK Crypto Podcast. You know it makes sense. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. Hit us up on Telegram. Our Telegram page is SVK Crowd. If you type that in, you will find all of us, including Jess, who's extremely active in the group. With that in mind, that's a wrap. I've got to bounce. Thank you for your time and thank you for your attention. That's a wrap.